0: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'd like to thank the organizers for the opportunity to present some of my work on CAR T-cells and ovarian cancer. Specifically, this work highlights uh, some of the work we need to do at the bench in order to get this sort of technology to the bedside and perhaps highlight where I think this technology is going um, in the near future. I have no disclosures. And um, just to put the acknowledgments first, this was a lot of this work I did with my former mentor at Memorial Sloan Kettering, uh, Dr. Rainier Brenchens, and my current mentor, uh, Dr. David Spriggs, with whom I'm here at Mass General. So, uh, No pointer, I guess. So CAR T cells, if you think about them, uh, the anatomy is pretty simple. You have an extracellular domain, which is the short chain um, variable fragment, or the SCFE, that's responsible for targeting the antigen or the flag that's expressed on the, the tumor cell. This is often linked to a transmembrane domain, that passes through the cell and an intracellular domain that signals um, when the SCIV binds to the target. Now what's important to note is that for most CAR T cells to work, you need to have predetermined that target antigen beforehand and effectively reverse engineered typically an antibody, but not always, that binds to that receptor by linking the heavy and the light chains together. And this becomes important as we start to think about what some of the limitations of this technology is or are. Another useful way to think about CAR T-cells is to put them in contrast or in juxtaposition to TCR or T-cell receptor-based therapy. And here to the left is uh, the context in which a T-cell receptor recognizes a target antigen. This is oftentimes in the context of HLA presentation. In contrast to that, CAR T cells do not require HLA presentation. So as we start to think about what some of the mechanisms of escape are, or what are the pros and cons between each of these approaches, you can start to get a sense that whereas a tumor might downregulate HLA and as such avoid TCR-based approaches, that particular avenue is impossible with CAR T cells. Whereas on the other hand, if the tumor has a mutation in the tumor-associated antigen, it basically becomes invisible to the CAR T cell, whereas a polyclonal T cell response, such as what you see with checkpoint blockade, has more avenues to capture a tumor and mitigate um, immune escape. So why bother anyway with CAR T cells? So if you look at this chart um, that shows what type of tumors might be more amenable to checkpoint blockade therapy and what kinds of tumors that might be amenable to CAR T-cell therapy, we think about them in terms of their antigen burden or antigen presentation on the surface. The more antigens you have, which is to your right, with tumors like melanoma um, and lung cancer, there's more opportunity for these mutated proteins to be presented in the context of HLA and as such be recognized by the TCR on tumor infiltrating T-cells. Whereas other tumors, more to your left, such as ALL, that have a lower antigenic burden, it's much harder for you to rouse or raise an effective immune response um, based on TCR. So in these cases, CAR T-cell therapy is more, might be more appropriate, as demonstrated by the um, FDA approval of B cell, um, of CAR-T, CD19 targeting CAR T-cells for B-cell ALL. Ovarian cancer kind of sits in the middle. So when things come together correctly, how do you expect this technology to work? So we usually collect T cells from plasmapheresis from patients, uh, or in the lab, we collect this as donor splenocytes from mice. You transduce them using your method of choice. Um, At Memorial, we use the retroviral method. Um, Lentiviral methods, sleeping Transposon methods have also been described, and you introduce your SCFE and the signaling domain via this method to the the T-cell, at which point it becomes a CAR T-cell. After this process in vitro, you then infuse the patient back with this modified or engineered T-cell, and upon infusion, the response or the CAR T-cells are redirected to the tumor based on this pre-identified tumor-associated antigen. So... In parallel, with a lot of the work that was going on with the CD19-directed CARs, people had been looking to see if they could recapitulate the same things in solid tumors, whether it was in pancreatic cancer, head and neck cancer, ovarian cancer. um, A lot of effort was afoot. And this is just one um, line of evidence that shows where some of the issues are when we design and test CAR T-cells for solid tumors. Parker et al. had done some of the prerequisite in vitro studies with ovarian cancer CAR T cells. They identified a good target. This is the folate-alpha receptor that's expressed on a lot of epithelial ovarian cancers. They designed and tested a, um, a CAR product in vitro and found that when you co-cultured them with cell lines, like the IGRAF-1 that's highlighted in red, you had a robust cytotoxic response. At the same time, you also had a lot of interferon gamma that was secreted when these CAR T cells Uh, recognize the tumor. These are all good things and things that are important prerequisites before you go to clinic. Now, these are first generation CAR T cells, and I'll explain what that means a little bit shortly. Emboldened by these results, basically it met all of the appropriate benchmarks for what you would need to do in the lab. They went ahead and did a phase one clinical trial, and there were no responses. In fact, when the product was infused into patients, they could not find in the periphery these expanded CAR T cells, and again, The way these T cells work is upon engagement with the target, they start to divide and expand and basically deal with or try to overwhelm and overcome the tumor. And they could not find an expansion in any of the patients treated. So we learned a lot of lessons. And this was happening across the board for a lot of other solid tumors. And one of the first lessons we learned is that unlike TCR-based therapy, you need a second or a co-stimulatory domain intracellularly to fully engage or fully lead to T-cell activation. This is the so-called signal two. And one of the more commonly used ones is CD28, which binds to B7H1 or B7H2, typically on the antigen presenting cell on the tumor stroma. This is what's required for these T-cells to make IL-2 and divide beyond just ligation of the SCFV. So if one costimulatory domain is good, then perhaps two is better. And people have looked at Including 41 bb uh, in series with CD28, and they've seen good responses. Some investigators prefer 41 bb some just use CD28. And of course, as medical oncologists, if two is better, then three has to be better. Um, so we d- people have tried three co stimulatory domains, and in this case, just like with many cytotoxic regimens, three is not always better than two. So most, the current FDA approved um, product is actually a second generation. Which means it only has one internal domain. But in preclinical studies and in the lab, you'll see people using as many as two costimulatory domains. When our lab was thinking about developing CAR T cells for ovarian cancer, we took a different approach. Instead of just increasing the number of costimulatory domains, we thought that, you know what, ovarian cancer is different than pancreatic cancer, and that is entirely different from all hematologic malignancies. We needed to take a different approach to armoring or upgrading these CAR T cells. So first, what was our target? I mentioned that you need to know the target before you even start. So working with Dr. David Spriggs, we cloned and identified the 4H11 um, antibody, which binds to the retained portion of muc 16 Now muc 16 is this gigantic glycoprotein, the top of which is cleaved off and shed into the blood as measurable CA125. They have been targeted therapies, usually drug conjugate antibodies, against CA125, but these bind to the shed portion. So in our mind, it's entirely useless because you just get antigen complex deposition and off-target immune responses. So we liked our target because it stayed on the tumor surface. And since we already had the antibody, it was only a matter of time before we could reverse engineer that sequence and make an SCFE. That was the first step. The second step is, can we use what we know about ovarian cancer to design a better car? Instead of just increasing the number of co-stimulatory domains, we decided to use a cytokine product, IL-12. And I'll explain the reason we picked IL-12 shortly. So when we, in this CAR T-cell-centric cartoon, we expect CAR T cells. T cells don't make IL-12. IL-12 is usually provided by dendritic cells or other antigen-presenting cells in an inflammatory environment to help drive a pro-inflammatory or TC1-type immune response, basically a safety check. You can't have the T cell bring its own gasoline and its own matches to the fire. So you have a separate part of that provided by other immune cells in the microenvironment as a sort of check to make sure the T cell is doing the right thing and not having an uncontrolled inflammatory response. So we thought that if we put the CAR T cells um, and enable them to make their own IL-12, we remove that. And you can have autocrine IL-12 stimulation of the CAR T cells. And that might augment its immune function. Also, we know that in ovarian cancer, there's a lot or preponderance of tumor-associated macrophages, so-called M1 macrophages, I mean M2 macrophages, that have been associated with poor outcomes um, in patients. And we know that in the presence of IL-12, these macrophages are perhaps retuned or repolarized towards a more inflammatory or an M1-type macrophage, and they start to make their own IL-12, basically leading to a feed-forward type of mechanism. We know that in some patients, there are dendritic cells present in the microenvironment, especially these plasmacytoid-type dendritic cells that have also been shown to be poor prognostic indicators in patients who are receiving um, definitive therapy. And IL-12 can stimulate these dendritic cells and make them upregulate MHC2, which in turn might lead to the um, demonstration of neoantigens to the endogenous um, immune system. We know that IL-12 will stimulate endogenous T cells, and we know that IL-12 will actually re- take the breaks off regulatory T cells, which again, have also been shown to be important negative prognostic factors in ovarian cancer. So IL-12 seemed to be at the center of this and seemed to be a good candidate for us to test our hypothesis. But we didn't do this first. In fact, they've been phase one and phase two clinical trials where IL-12 cytokine therapy had been used for ovarian cancer with fairly mixed results. However, it was felt that the dosing and the toxicity of this cytokine outweighed its benefits and development was stopped at that time. So when we put everything I said together, we have a CAR T cell that stimulates um, that is the, the responds or binds to the retained portion of MUC-16 and has a little extra piece that secretes IL-12 for both autocrine and paracrine effects. So the first thing we did was to do something very similar to what was done in that other paper, which is to test all of this in the laboratory prior to initiating clinical trials. And as you can see, if you follow the red bar, which represents what happens with the IL-12 secreting CAR T cells, you see an increase in the cytokines you would expect, such as IL-12, which is the internal control, but also with interferon gamma and TNF-alpha, which are inflammatory-style cytokines. Next, when we do a cytotoxicity assay, we culture the tumor cells directly with the CAR T cells, we see significantly reduced amount of tumor cells. So the lower the bar, the better. And in this case, the low red line means that the IL-12 secreting CAR T cells are killing off a lot more of these tumor cells in the dish. Also, when we looked at other effector mechanisms of CAR T cells, or T cells in general, like perforin and granzyme, we do see increased levels in these IL-12 enhanced CAR T cells. However, when we co-cultured and we looked for T cell proliferation, which is important, the T-cells have to divide as well as kill the tumor, we saw a similar amount of expansion or proliferation um, between our il 12 secreting CAR T-cells and the second generation or the standard um, CAR T-cells. So we asked ourselves, well, this is well and good, but we didn't want to make the same mistakes that have been made by our predecessors in this area, so we repeated these experiments in the context of cell-free ascites. Now, ascites is one of those things that develop in patients with metastatic ovarian cancer. And this microenvironment has been known to be particularly suppressive and uh, and, uh, cytotoxic, especially to T cells. Now, when we repeat these experiments, in the context of the appropriate tumor microenvironment, we find that the IL-12-suging CAR T cells are indeed protected. They can still kill these tumors in the presence of ascites, which is uh, demonstrated there by a comparison of the solid red line to the dotted red line. Whereas the standard of care, or the standard best therapy, which is the second-gen CAR T cells, actually do worse. They go from the solid black line to the dotted black line, leaving more tumor behind in the dish. When we did the proliferation assay, we saw increase or better proliferation with the IL-12 CAR T cells. And the reason for this, when we looked, is because in figure C, the IL-12 secreting CAR T cells are resistant to apoptosis in the presence of ascites, which has been shown to be a mechanism for T-cell toxicity or T-cell apoptosis in this environment. So do tumor-bearing animals live better when we treat them with the supposedly enhanced CAR T-cells? And indeed, they do. As shown in figure A there, when we take mice that have an advanced tumor, which is day 35, so they've had this tumor for about 35 days, and we treat them, At this dose, at this day, the second generation, which I'll remind you again, is the one that's currently FDA approved in the CD19 version for B cell ALL, becomes placebo. You can't tell it apart from the other black lines. And only the red line, which represents the IL-12 secreting CAR T cells, pull ahead. When we look at figure B, when we push the treatment, even up to 42 days, there is still a survival benefit, albeit reduced from the day 35 treatment. To test the hypothesis that this was all autocrine-driven, which means the IL-12 was stimulating the CAR T-cells directly, we generated these CARs from T-cells that did not have the IL-12 receptor. And when we did that, it basically looked very similar to the second gen, showing that the vast majority of this efficacy was mediated by an autocrine effect. So we tried to get to the bottom of this in terms of mechanism, and we took animals that have been treated, tumor-bearing mice treated with these CAR T cells. And after 48 hours, we harvested them to do some analysis to see why they were doing better. And as shown in figure A, at that time point, we see increased expansion in vivo, which is what we expect, because they're protected from apoptosis. And in that same time frame, they're actually secreting inflammatory cytokines into the peritoneum and remodeling the peritoneal tumor microenvironment by elaborating increased IL-12 at TNF alpha and to another uh, lesser degree interferon gamma. So they're reshaping the liquid or the humoral, I mean the, um, the soluble tumor microenvironment in the peritoneum. And in figure C, when we looked at how much tumor we could recover after 48 hours, if you look at the, dot, uh, the red dots in figure C, there's significantly less tumor. So the CAR T cells are uh, debulking to a very large extent. Next, we did transcriptome analysis comparing these CAR- armored CAR T cells to second-generation CAR T cells that have been recovered from the peritoneum after 48 hours. So we took these tumor-bearing mice, treated them with these CAR T cells, and at 48 hours, we took out the cars and we took out the tumor so the macrophages in the same mouse and looked at the differences in transcriptome analysis. And everything you'd expect is here, relative to the second-generation CAR T cells, the IL-12 secreting CAR T cells. They have decreased levels of FOXP3, CTLA4, LAG3, one Basically, a lot of the markers that we typically associate with T-cell dysfunction were less expressed in the IL-12 secreting CAR T-cells. Again, providing some mechanistic hypothesis for their efficacy. Other things like EOMs and TBET, where EOMs was up-regulated, uh, downregulated and TBET was upregulated, another classic indicator of inflammatory T-cells. When we looked at the tumor-associated macrophages from the matched mice that were treated with these IL-12-secreting CAR T cells, we saw basically the flip picture. In mice that got the IL-12-secreting CAR T cells, these macrophages were more likely to be M1-like, as shown in the transcriptome analysis there in the green and red bars, but also their functional, their suppressive activity as measured by arginase um, assays was less. In addition, their phenotype, was also more in li- less in line with M2-style macrophages, as elaborated by their expression and secretion of IL-6. So in summary, it looked like these IL-12 secretion CAR T cells, not only were they working better or more potent, they were also delivering a biologically relevant dose of IL-12 to the tumor microenvironment and mediating these changes. Another thing we noticed, as shown in figure A, was that in these mice, there were actually less quantities of these tumor-associated macrophages, in addition to these changes, uh, transcriptome changes and physiologic changes that I described. And when we looked at it, it turns out that these macrophages were upregulating a lot of FAS, or these fast death receptors, the way I think about it. And we found that the CAR T cells upregulated the ligand for that. So we hypothesized that maybe the cells that weren't being converted were actually being killed off by these CAR T cells via ligation of the FAS, FAS ligand pathway. So we did a blocking assay where we treated mice with a blocking antibody to fast ligand, treated them with the CAR T cells, and indeed, in figure C, we were able to rescue or recover the amounts of tumor-associated macrophages in these mice. And then furthermore, to see if this had a functional consequence in mice that were treated with the blocking antibody, you see that they lost some of the survival advantage that they had previously, as shown by the longer red line compared to the shorter red line in figure D. So again, not to the point um, that we saw with autocrine, because, again, we think this is the effect, the efficacy is mostly autocrine based, but it did seem to be playing a part. Next, we looked at the pd one pdl one pathway, which has been shown to be very active in ovarian cancer and, as, and many, many cancers. But we noticed that ID8 or tumors, ovarian cancer tumors, sometimes don't express pdl one at baseline, however, in response or in other exposure to interferon gamma, they upregulate PDL1. So it seemed like it was a dynamic marker of resistance to immunotherapy, or at least to activated T cells. So what we did to test the hypothesis of the, uh, the relevance of this pathway was to generate CRISPR-mediated PDL-1 knockdown cell lines. Basically, these cells could not put up inhibition um, in response to activated T cells and look to see if this meant anything. I'll spare you the co-culture data, which showed that it did, but I'll show you the survival data that shows that in mice that had tumors that could not upregulate PD-L1, they were more responsive to the second-generation CAR T cells. And those go from the solid, the dotted black line, placebo, to the solid black line, which means that this pathway in the relevant context played a significant role in suppressing the efficacy of immunotherapy for ovarian cancer the IL-12 CAR T cells were still able to function effectively as compared by the solid red line to the dotted red line. Lastly, I would mentioned earlier on that IL-12 could also have effects on dendritic cells, and this is an entire story that we don't have a lot of time to get into today. But at that same 48-hour time period when we recovered dendritic cells from mice that have been treated with the armored CAR T cells, we did see upregulated MHC class two. The hypothesis being that as tumors were dying around these macrophages and they were being endocytosed, there would be a higher chance or higher probability for these dendritic cells to, up, to co-express or present some of these neoantigens, some of these antigens in the context of MHC2. So to further test it, then we say, well, if they are presenting increased antigens, then maybe if we took a mouse or took a, 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 an animal and give them a tumor that had high MUX-16 and low MUX-16, the IL-12 secreting CAR T cells should be able to eradicate these co-mixed or heterogeneous tumors. And those of us who treat solid tumors know even by immunohistochemistry the strength of expression 1 plus, 2 plus, 3 plus is one thing, but then the degree of heterogeneity within a tumor sample is another matter entirely. And one of the mechanisms of escape is, as I mentioned before, when the tumor loses that tumor-associated antigen, even a very small mutation, and it becomes invisible to your standard CAR T cells. So we generated cell lines that had high MUC-16 and, had, and ones that had low MUC-16, mixed them up, and treated mice with them. But already, in culture, when we treated these cells uh, with second-generation CAR T cells, Cells that had high muc 16 are represented in black, so they're killed reasonably well by the standard CAR T cells. The ones in blue are the ones that have low muc 16 and that's what you would expect. However, with the IL-12 CAR T cells, it seemed like the presence of IL-12 already lowered the threshold for killing and activation in these CAR T cells, making them more sensitized towards even very low level expression of muc 16 And so when we took animals that had a 50-50 mix, of high and low antigen expression, they still did very well on this IL-12 secreting CAR T cell therapy as compared to animals that were treated with second generation CAR T cells. So based in part on the strength of this work, we actually embarked on a phase one clinical trial, actually ongoing now at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, where patients are getting a um, IVIP infusion of IL-12 secreting CAR T cells one by IV, and then into the peritoneum, which you know is a site for this disease. And that's been ongoing for some time now, and the results are eagerly awaited. So next we thought, well, we've been successful with this approach. Is this idea generalizable? Can we go from the tumor microenvironment and build better CAR T cells? I just showed you data regarding the weight or the magnitude of effect of modulating PD-1 or pdl one in the microenvironment. So we thought, what if we made a CAR T cell that secreted, instead of IL-12, but it made a blocking SCFE against PD-1, so basically secreted its own checkpoint blockade molecule. Could this bring together some of the benefits of immune checkpoint blockade and adoptive T cell therapy? So we designed those CAR T cells, both the murine version and, of course, in anticipation of a clinical trial, the human version um, as well. And the first problem we had to solve was solubility. Again, because we were thinking about the tumor microenvironment, these SCFVs had to fold properly in order for them to even bind. So when we took animals that had a lot of ascites, treated them with these anti-PD1 secreting CAR T cells, after 48 hours, we were able to recover properly folded SCFV, meaning that they were secreted at the right size, and they also achieved this proper um, conformation. Quantification is shown in B. What about efficacy? We treated tumor-bearing mice with these SCIV-secreting CAR T cells, and they did quite well, as shown in the pink triangles. And they did just as well as mice that received second-generation CAR T cells plus checkpoint antibodies. So these are basically off-the-shelf checkpoint blockade molecules. Except those mice had to receive more doses because CAR T cell infusion is one single infusion. The animals that got immune checkpoint antibodies got the CAR T cells, and three times a week, extra infusions of anti-PD-1 antibodies for us to see the same or similar efficacy. And in this particular model, in these syngeneic mice, single agent immune checkpoint blockade was basically ineffective. And that's the black triangle, very similar to what we see in patients with ovarian cancer getting anti-PD-1 checkpoint blockade therapy. So next we wanted to see if this had any extra benefits beyond just blocking and promoting survival. So we looked in the bone marrow of long-term surviving mice to see if there were any CAR T cell persistence. And indeed, what we found was that in mice that were treated with our SCIV armored CAR T cells, we were able to recover, at least by PCR, evidence of the CAR in the bone marrow. And we found that in mice that received a second bolus, or second challenge of tumor, as shown in B and C, they were also able to resist the tumor showing that this measurement was not just a PCR artifact for something we found in the bone marrow, but actually had functional consequences. And of course, you know, insert joke here, nobody gets infused with a second round of tumor in the middle of the night after they've cleared um, their first uh, lesion. But at least experimentally, this shows us that there might be a small repertoire of tumor-reactive CAR T cells that are locked away and saved away for when the tumor recurs. So one of the benefits of checkpoint blockade is that you can have what's called a bystander effect. And this is activation or modulation of neighboring T cells, ones that perhaps weren't secreting the SCFE. So to test this hypothesis in our system, we had to switch to a melanoma model because of some technical limitations with the ovarian cancer model, which I can go to in detail with anyone who's interested. But we took melanoma tumor-bearing mice and engineered our T cells to deliver the anti-PD-1 SCIVs, as, we sh- as I showed you before, but this time looked at its effect on the tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes. So these are T cells that have infiltrated the tumor on their own, but we know are not as effective in this melanoma models. And look to see if beyond the efficacy of these blocking SCIVs on the CAR T cell, if it did anything at all to the neighboring or non-CAR T cells. And indeed, we found upregulation of of, um, co-stimulatory molecules, such as CD80, on the non-CAR T-cells, suggesting a bystander effect. We also saw increased interferon gamma and granzyme B. And what this means is that our CAR T-cells secreting this SCAV can act as as an amplifier of sorts. And if you take this idea to its kind of logical conclusion, is that we'll be broadening the response from a CAR-based response into a more TCR-based response, bringing together the best of both worlds. Lastly, we did the in vivo experiments to see if these SCIV-secreting CAR T cells were as functional as giving checkpoint blockade by itself or with CAR T cells, and this recapitulated what we saw in the immune-competent mice, showing that the SCIV-secreting CAR T cells work better than checkpoint blockade alone or second generation alone, and work just as well as giving second-generation plus exogenous checkpoint blockade antibody therapy, as shown in B, the upside-down white triangles compared to the right-side up pink triangles. So the last thing that you want to ask is, well, we've shown that it's just as good. We don't have a lot of evidence that it's better than just giving second-generation CAR T cells and immune checkpoint blockade. So we thought, well, one of the things CAR T cells do very well is they expand upon antigen recognition and is an opportunity there to deliver very high concentrations of whatever the payload is in the local environment with minimization of systemic toxicity or systemic side effects. So in panel A, what we did was we injected mice that had tumor in the peritoneum ovarian cancer tumors with these armored or SCFV secreting CAR T cells. And if you look over time, the color that lights up there is the tagged SCFE the tagged anti-PD-1 small chain fragment, and it's localized only in the peritoneum where the disease is, where the CAR T cells are. In contrast to what's underneath that, what happens when you give the checkpoint blockade antibody and second-generation CAR T cells into the peritoneum? And those of you who work with antibodies know, in, in fact, one way to deliver checkpoint blo- um, antibodies in mice is to give it peritoneal. It just go, it goes everywhere. But the SCIVs are small enough that they stay in the peritoneum where the CAR T cells are, where the tumor is. The other way we looked at that for further sensitivity was to use tandem mass spec to say, well, you know, bioluminescence is one thing, which I show in A. But B, can we really get in the blood? Is there any leakage at all? And as shown in B, the first panel, when you give antibodies, it shows the kinetics you'd expect. You give it in the peritoneum, peaks over six hours, and kind of goes down from there. However, in the right side panel, when you give these armored CAR T cells in the peritoneum, all of the SCFE stays in the peritoneum. In fact, to test that we could even detect it at all, we had to inject the mouse peripherally, basically spike the system to see if we could actually detect that. So we think we have an approach that's not only as effective as giving checkpoint blockade and secondary CAR T cells, but could also be potentially safer. And the benefit of this approach, if you um, think about it, is that in tumors that don't have a lot of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, these cold tumors, CAR T cells can act as that tip of the spear, infiltrating the tumor. And then whatever payload they're carrying, be it IL-12, be it PD-1, can then be used to engage and broaden the immune response beyond just what's targeted by the CAR. So, to summarize, where is this going and where might this end in the future and how do I see CAR T cells kind of fitting into the paradigm? Well, I'm very optimistic, but not optimistic enough to think that we'll have CAR T cell monotherapy. Most of us who treat solid tumors know that in the metastatic space, they're very, I cannot think of any FDA approved drug where you give one dose one time and expect a very long duration of response. The current technology, even with CAR T cells, I don't think will allow for, it, for this, living drug you know, connotations aside. So debulking or modulating the microenvironment is going to be critical. This is going to be either with targeted agents, with further advanced armored CAR T cells, or with our backbone chemotherapeutic agents. We need to think very carefully about how we design these CAR T cells. I honestly think one of the reasons we had much success is that we thought of the tumor first. We weren't trying to make generic CAR T-cells that could work for every single cancer. So if you were working on pancreatic cancer, maybe fibroblasts and tumor stroma would be a bigger problem than you would have with regulatory T-cells and tumor-associated macrophages. Even though they're there, your T-cell might not even be penetrating the tumor to even deliver anything. So the problems might be different. I think understanding that and making that a considered approach when you design your CAR would increase our chances of success for this disease. And lastly, combining it, as I mentioned before, with other modalities that have been shown or we expect to either be synergistic with our CAR T cells or help overcome the limitations of our CAR T cells will be important. In the same way where we don't expect people to get better um, from an infection, with just stimulating their immune system. They need antibiotics. They need an adjunct. They need something else. We need to think very carefully about what we're trying to do with these tumors where the T-cell dysfunction is, where the problems are, and try to overcome that with rationally designed combinatorial approaches. And lastly, even all the way down to how we manufacture CAR T-cells, we need to think about it. So these T-cells are stimulated outside the body, oftentimes for uh, a week, maybe longer, and then we expect to put them back in vivo into the patient and expect them to be 100%. There are things that happen to them, dysfunction, exhaustion, in vitro, that we haven't yet been accounting for? the people. What's the right combination of CD8 to CD4 T cells? Those are all questions that I think we need to look at more closely for solid tumors, even though they haven't been much of an issue with CD19 expressing ALL, and perhaps even multiple myeloma, which seems to be the next one coming down the pike. So I know I spoke very fast. I know I gave a lot of information. Um, but at this point, I'll be happy to take any questions. Thank you. <clears throat> your uh, antigen. I, mean, I guess there are other possibilities. You gave up on the folate receptor. Yes. So um, one of the things we look at is we try to pick antigens that have very limited um, normal tissue expression. And we learned this from our HER2 um, experience with CAR T cells. And even some of the uh, carbonic anhydrase receptor experience, people were getting significant hepatotoxicity. Because again, the carbonic anhydrase, even though it was mostly expressed on tumors, in an inflammatory context, it becomes upregulated or flipped from the luminal side to the apical side in normal tissue, and patients were getting expected toxicities. Now, with MUC16, or the retained portion, what's clever about it is in most patients who would be candidates for this therapy would have had significant debulking disease. So, MUC16 is expressed on malarian uh, tissue on the uh, luminal side of the gut and in, this, and in the eye. So the eye is immunoprivileged. Yeah. Um, the luminal side of the gut, we don't expect the T cells to translocate because they're pretty large. Um, pretty large, And in, in most women would have had you know, um, their surgery prior to receiving this therapy. So it kind of fit the criteria for a lot of things we'd expect. And fortunately, in the clinical trial thus far, we haven't seen any adverse effect that we could attribute to either um, off-the-rails T cell expansion or... IL-12 cytokine toxicity. What about the folate binding protein with uh, the folate receptor? Uh, other people have used antibodies against it. Yes. 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 So I suspect the reason that CAR T cell um, adventure failed the first time was not as a result of toxicity, but because it just didn't have the right kind of CAR. Those were really early days. I think if we swapped. Our MUX16, the 4H11, with folate receptor, we would get similar efficacy in tumors that express the folate receptor. So, what you think about going forward is maybe a dual CAR approach. So, for tumors that have low folate alpha receptor, they'll probably have MUX16, and perhaps vice versa, again, to help minimize immune escape. No, no, no. And there are others like Lewis antigen, and there's a whole basket of very good uh, targets. Next. Yaku, great talk. Thank you. Uh, um, I just had a question about, you know, you, you talked about having a reservoir of these CAR T-cells in the bone marrow that yeah. may persist in some sense. Is there, any, is there any evidence or any thought about whether there is any conversion into, like, memory T-cells or any of, of the other, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, inducing some kind of, some kind of durable response to this therapy? Is there any hint or is any thought about, like, what, what role that, that may play? Uh, yeah, so we did not do immunophenotype As I showed, we only did basic PCR detection on these bone marrows for the SCIV-secreting CAR T-cells. But we know that the phenotype, as far as what path will you go down, whether your effector memory, central memory, is very important. Because the, what I didn't tell you was that with the IL-12 secreting CAR T-cells, IL-12 drives terminal, differ- terminal effector differentiation in these CAR T-cells. So they burn very bright, but they burn out. And we can't find them. So that approach would perhaps be amenable to repeated infusions, perhaps scaled to the degree of tumor burden a patient has to minimize toxicity. But the IL 12 CAR T cells, you, you put them in, especially with the CD28 domain, they go in, they debulk the tumor, and they, they go away. But with the SCRV second CAR T cells, we did not immunophenotype them. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious about the potential for kind of a combined. Yeah, no, depression. yeah, absolutely. And, and we're looking at that as far as combining them. But what we don't know, we know that for B cell ALL, especially at least in mice, if you have a more central memory phenotype, they can keep re-expanding to deal with the tumor. But for solid tumors, I, 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 I don't think that's going to be enough, just because of the remodeling around the microenvironment. For the, you know that that three-dimensional, we don't have constant turnover in the bone marrow. We don't have enough of these circulating tumor cells to stimulate when you, the cancer recurs, like in the liver. You need a large population of T cells that are kind of ready to go, and not this gradual re-differentiation or trans-differentiation from central memory to effective memory. So my prediction is that that may not be enough. It works in mice, but I, in people, I don't think that will be enough. But combination approaches is, is definitely the way to go. What about the possibility of off-the-shelf T cells? The problem right now, of course, it takes two or three weeks. Yes, and uh, it's very expensive and yes. right. Right. So people have been looking at that for a very long time, and in fact, some people were working with NK cells because they didn't really have to deal with that as much. But you know, that hasn't that field is not as far along as with CAR T cells. Unfortunately, some of the efforts people have been looking at for making universal CAR T cells with CRISPR. I don't know if you guys have followed the news lately, but it seems like there are people who have endogenous. Um, endogenous antibodies or endogenous uh, sensitivities to CRISPR-Cas9. I mean, we didn't know because we never looked. So that may not necessarily even be the holy grail that we're looking at to make off-the-shelf cars. My principle is once we figure out that it works and how to make it work, I think there will be enough enthusiasm technology-wise to make it cheaper, to make it better, to make it for everybody. But I think the biggest obstacle currently is to show that it works at all, because then you're not even leaving the gates. Sure. <laughs> Other questions? I, I note that you use retrovirus for yes. the transductions. Yes. Uh, there, is there a little background worry about secondary effects, leukemia in the T cells? Do you work for the FDA? <laughs> 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 um, so this, this has been one of, one of the high costs, at least at Memorial, with CAR TCL therapy has been the cost of banking a lot of these samples from our early ALL trials and our CLL trials and routine testing. You will be shocked at kind of the amount of sequencing and testing we been doing. The risk is very small, um, but we haven't seen it. But, oh, but there is always okay. a theoretical risk that we have down. to acknowledge. But the same thing you would guess with lentiviral as well. OK, any further questions? That's very exciting stuff. Thank you, Thank very, you much. very much. Thank you very much. the